So good evening, everyone. So tonight, and most of these Thursday evenings, I will talk on a number of different subjects. <clears throat> but tonight is the third part, as Katie said, uh, third part of a three-part uh, presentation that's really about the understanding of the self you know, from a Buddhist perspective. Um, what what is the self? Who are we? What is the sense of self? Uh, from the, the Buddhist teachings and a little bit from the Shambhala teachings. The first talk explored the basic teaching of selflessness, that one of the unique characteristics of the Buddhist teachings of what the Buddha taught was that there is no self. And this is a shock to some people. Uh, and it was a real shock in ancient India, where uh, the ancient Indian worldview was that everyone had an essential self, a soul or an Atman in Sanskrit. And the Buddha was a kind of radical figure who said, nope, <laughs> there isn't any. There is no true self. There is no essence to our being. There is no soul. There is no juicy center in the middle of the Tootsie roll or Tootsie pop. Um, it's like a uh, um, peeling an onion. There's just layer after layer, and when you get to it, there's no center. Or like a plantain tree, if any of you are uh, plantain or banana tree farmers. There's lots of them in Pittsburgh. Um, <laughs> if, you, if you actually take apart the layers of a banana tree, there is no center. There's no the thing in the middle. It's just layers. And so the Buddha taught that uh, if you look carefully at our experience, there is no essential self or soul. And that actually, um, we are a changing process. So the first talk emphasizes, emphasized the sense that as a human being, we're a changing process. We're parts, we're our body, we're our emotions, we're our thoughts, we're our perceptions, uh, we're our consciousnesses in terms of uh, perception of the world. But there is not, nothing we can find that is uh, a lasting, independent, totally separate and distinct self or soul or true nature of mind or anything like that. And the first talk described this basic Buddhist perspective that we're a changing process, like a wave going through an ocean. You can point to it, but you can't find, oh, that's the essence of the wave. That's the true wave. It's just a flow, a change, a process. And for a while, some conditions come together, they make up our sense of self, and then after a while those conditions dissolve, um, most obviously when we die. So that was the first talk, which is lots a lot of fun, right? You don't exist, you're a changing process, and you're going to die. So that was the first <laughs> time. Um, for those of you who missed it, it was a great time. <laughs> then, if that wasn't kind of um, depressing or groundless enough. The second talk um, actually even challenged the idea that we are a process. That, in fact, if you look carefully, at any moment in the process of our changing conditions and experiences, you also don't find an identity. We looked a little bit about this word identity as something identical to itself, that even within the process, there is nothing that remains the same. And we explored that more experientially in terms of how, for a lot of us, we grasp at, we're constantly trying to find our true identity. 
the true me? When am I going to know who I really am? When do I find this true sense of self? And I didn't get into it much last time, but I want to say that so much of the Western tradition, the romantic tradition, the tradition of introspection, if you're a philosopher, that Cartesian, the you know Descartes perspective, if you're interested in the arts, the whole idea that the purpose of life is to find our true self, our true meaning, who we really are, what we really have to offer, to look deep within and know our true sense of self, that's highly questionable. Even though we all value that and have been raised in a culture where And we talk about that all the time, like, you know, I really want to know who I really am and how I can really offer something to the world. From a Buddhist perspective, it's kind of like, whoa, where did you get that question in the first place? And how helpful is that? How's it working? You know, have you found her yet? Your true self. Do you know who she is? And I think many of us, our answer is, yes, absolutely, I know, and I know what that feels like, and I love her, and that, and she's great. And I know what that feels like to speak from that place, and write from that place, and create art, and, and, I, and I love that true sense of, of self. Um, but for others of us, it's kind of like, well, that, I don't, not quite sure. It's changing. And maybe even there's something painful in that very quest to try to find that true inner sense of self. And you don't find that in all traditions around the world. In fact, the Chinese tradition is explicitly critical of the very idea that there is some true identity to be discovered. This can also show up and affect our understanding of the spiritual path and of meditation, where we sit down to meditate and we think there's a certain state of mind that's the true me, that's the real good, healthy, mindful, awake, beautiful me that I'm going to get to through my meditation practice. And there's some truth to that, but also there's a way in which that very effort to get to the real identity, who we really are, this good me, what does that do? Well, it means that moment after moment you're rejecting your experience as it actually is in the present. This me, this state of mind, is not good enough. It's not enlightened enough. It's not my true identity or true self. It's not the good meditative mind that I will get to one day by doing a lot of yoga, by eating healthy, by having cold-pressed organic juices, meditating a lot, losing weight, Um, learning to do uh, much better tango, learning French, um, writing a novel, um, finally mastering um, Japanese swordsmanship, and also helping all of the uh, children in Africa. And after I do all of that, then I will really have arrived at the good, true me that I know I really am and will be one day. There's a great quote um, something like, I know who I really am. I just haven't gotten around to being him yet. And it's, it's kind of funny, but it's also painful to feel the way that underlies so much of our life, our interest in meditation, of spiritual teachings is like, I know who the real me is. I just haven't gotten around to being her yet. 
to being them yet. I just haven't found them. But one day I will, if I meditate enough and I do enough Shambhala training and I listen to Adam give enough talks on Thursday night, uh, or I find a better teacher and I'll find somebody that can help me to finally discover that true identity. And so I think something very simple in all of the complex teachings around selflessness is maybe giving ourselves a little break, a little relief a little lightness around this constant sense of when will I find that true identity and how much of my meditation experience is really driven by something, a quest that we're not quite sure where we got that idea in the first place or how true it might be. And this might lead, we're still on the second talk, this might lead to a sense of maybe emptiness or well then who am I or groundlessness or if I'm not even a changing process then what am I and I really tried to encourage us to stay with that sense of absence or emptiness or groundlessness or no answer or I don't know and we left it off I think the last talk on that note of There's nothing here. There's no one. There's no true self. And that can feel maybe potentially hopeless or nihilistic or frightening. And I encourage that. And that brings us to today. Where we have something of a happy ending to our three talks, but not maybe quite as satisfying as we we might like. So the title of this talk is not what we are not, but, you know, you are. What is it that we are? We, We know what we're not from a Buddhist perspective. We're not a true soul. There is nothing absolute or essential in any of our experience. There's no identity to grasp or find, and we're all going to die. And there's not much happy ending in that. We're changing, and there's nothing even there that we are that is changing. There's just change or groundlessness. And so tonight we want to begin with, to arrive at, well, what are we? We want to begin with this importance of letting go and of loss and maybe even of grief. that the first threshold in discovering who we are is to actually feel the loss and the letting go and the sadness of not really knowing our identity and of having a sense that we might never arrive there. And to experience that, to be willing to let go of that grasping part of us that that wants it to all work out and to have everything solid, perfect, wrapped up in a nice package. And to feel the quiveriness, the shakiness of that sense of letting go. Because it's actually very beautiful. There's nothing wrong with really wanting to know for sure who we really are. And there's nothing wrong with this kind of longing. I'd like 
I'd like to, I'd like to find her and, and have that truth and stay with that and, and know it forever. And so to really hear the, the radicalness of the Buddhist teaching of selflessness experientially might mean just tasting that sense of loss and being willing to let go, being, being willing to let go of that constantly grasping part of us that wants security. This is like the least helpful kind of spiritual teaching because what we want is somebody to say, here's how you can be secure. If you just follow the seven steps of blah, 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 you will arrive at complete security. All will be well. If you do these seven things every day and for $9.99 a month, you can too be completely <coughs> secure who you are, control and own that sense of identity and self and everything will work out. And so the Buddha was this kind of teacher who said, I'm so sorry. I wish I could, I wish that I could just show you those seven steps and you'd find your way to your juicy center and there would be this beautiful inner true self that you could have forever. But in my experience, I, there isn't that. There is a kind of absence. And he encouraged us through our meditation practice to let go again and again, breath after breath. Learn to let go, learn to release, learn to relax into that groundlessness, that uncertainty, that lack of identity, that sense of change that is who we are. And he said it is through that letting go that one finds true freedom and true peace. And last, the last class ended with a sense of what is the peace? What is the letting go or the almost absence that is um, present? So letting go, being willing to let go. Letting go of some of our certainties. Letting go of our sense of identity, letting go of our sense of what we expect and project and hope for from our meditation or our spiritual training, that there's a softness to that, actually. There's a sadness or even grief of just being willing to let go a bit. And when we let go in that way, what's left? What remains when we've really emptied out and there's really nothing left we're holding on to and we've become, you could say, at ease with that letting go? Well, what remains? What is left? What are we, you could say, is a kind of softness or tenderness. Trungpa Rinpoche describes this as if we could reach into our own rib cage to try to find our heart, and all we find is empty space. Not that they were heartless or cold, but that what our heart is, is a kind of vastness that is tender, that is soft, that is um, vulnerable, that is shaky. 
and that most of us spend our whole life resisting and not wanting to feel. Like, I'm good with anything other than that tenderness because it's too raw. Or our armor and numbing is so heavy and thick that we've lost touch with it. We don't even, can't even find that softness anymore. Except every now and then, like a silly movie or commercial and like the little girl loses her something and we suddenly we just like, oh my gosh, my soft heart. It's right there. Anyone ever have that experience? <laughs> like you just feel I'm numb, I'm thick, I'm stressed out. My life is, feels terrible. And then this like silly little thing happens and you're, oh my God, I love everybody. <laughs> so it's actually there. But it's not there. What is that? Is that a self? Is that a soul? Is that an entity? Is that an identity? What is that soft spot, that tenderness, that something in us that is actually can feel the sadness of the letting go? So we could call that a present absence. Or when absence is felt, when the letting go is experienced so much that all that's left is a kind of softness or suppleness. And I want to um, recite a few verses of a poem or something kind of poetic from the Japanese Zen tradition from um, Dogen, Zen master Dogen, who is the founder of the Soto Zen school. Um, so 14th century. Um, uh, might have that wrong. It might be the end of the 13th century into the beginning of the 14th. But somewhere around then. It's Dogen, Dogen Zenji. And he uh, was the founder of the Soto School and just one of the most beautiful, amazing um, meditation teachers, poets, philosophers, I think from any tradition that I'm aware of. And so... One of his most important texts is called the Shobogenzo, and then there are these lines that are sometimes considered one of the most important lines or verses from the Shobogenzo. And I will recite them, and then we'll explore them a little bit together. I'll do it twice. So from the Shobogenzo by Dogen. To study the Buddha way is to study the self. To study the self is to forget the self. To forget the self is to be actualized by the myriad things. When you are actualized by the myriad things, your body and mind, as well as the body and mind of others, drop away. No trace remains, and that no trace continues endlessly. So I'll recite it again. To study the Buddha way is to study the self. To study the self is to forget the self. To forget the self 
is to be actualized by the myriad things. When you are actualized by the myriad things, your body and mind, as well as the body and mind of others, drop away. No self remains. No trace remains. And that no trace continues endlessly. Quite beautiful, isn't it? What do you hear in these verses? What do you notice? A kind of dropping away. Yeah, yeah. That, this language of dropping away, <clears throat> or falling away, or dropping away. <clears throat> Good. What else? Yeah. It's layered. It it's a layered process. Yeah. What kind of layers do you hear? Sort of put one thing inside of another. Yeah, one inside or another. So first, we're going to study the self, and when we do that, we forget the self. But when we forget the self. Something else happens. We're actualized by the myriad things. That's a complicated line. What does that mean? To be actualized by the myriad things. Yeah. I don't think that's what they said in ancient Japanese. They didn't say it like that, no. They didn't say actualized. No, they didn't. <laughs> they had a Japanese word for it, yeah. <laughs> yeah all, this is all in translation and probably loses something and gains something it shouldn't. <laughs> yeah. To be actualized by the myriad things. Yeah. Good. What else do, do people notice? It's a little bit of a paradox. It, there's, there's no trace, but the trace goes on forever. Yeah. Yeah. One of the most amazing kind of lines. No trace remains. And that no trace continues endlessly. So tonight, we're really talking about a no trace that continues endlessly, or a present absence. The Deridians in the room will be very excited. <laughs> Makes me think of an LP, the old LP, whenever it finishes playing, it goes... Mm, cool image. <laughs> Does the no trace remains mean that there's no trace of what we're grasping for, or that we don't have any kind we can only experience? Like, um, we're not cognizant of those traces. What do you think? I just wonder, like, in a lifetime, if these things happen. And, I don't know, I sometimes try to think of consciousness and my development of it as taking place over the course of a lifetime, and in what ways I'm able to be mindful of those changes, and in what ways I'm not. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I think one way to think about when we get to this level of paradoxical teaching, and this is, you, those of you who are here for the first you know, time tonight, we're kind of going right into the deep end and we haven't really <laughs> talked about swimming or life rafts or anything like that. So welcome to the deep end. Um, so hopefully something helpful will come from it. But um, the, 
the other way to think about this is not how do I get to experience this? Because this sounds really advanced and there's no trace experience, you know, going on endlessly and so forth. Um, the other way to think about it is these verses and all of these teachings are just trying to describe what's already happening. You know, trying to provide a language for the fact that our life can feel indeterminate and, um, and that our that our that there is a kind of absence that is continuing, or a kind of trace of our being that and our of our experience that that's what is kind of going forward. So better not to think of this, I think, as a state that you could achieve or, or, or something that you might realize, but more some really awake kind of interesting person trying to provide a language for what's actually going on in our life. Already, yeah. I keep um, thinking about the experience, what I experienced last week towards the end of the second talk when you had us, um, you sort of coached us into relaxing. Some of us laid on the floor, and you repeated several times the phrase, "There's nothing. Um, there's nothing you have." Wait, I forget what it was. There's nothing you need to get away from. And there's nothing you need to get. And um, so that poem that you just recited um, and the layers of it made me think of Russian nesting dolls that were the peeling of the onion and mm -hmm. you get to the center and there's nothing there. So you, get, you reach into your ribcage and there's, there's nothing there. But when, when we had that experience, when I had that experience last week, <clears throat> once like when you get up over the initial like there's there's nothing there there's nothing you have to get away from and there's nothing you need to get and you've been trying so hard to to get away from something or to get something and so when you're first there you're like oh like if there's disappointment or the grief that you refer to mm -hmm, great. but then it's kind of like Oh, there's vastness. There's there's vast, open, endless respite. Yeah, really helpful, beautiful. So, so when we're encouraged to truly relax, mm -hmm. there can at first be some sense of um, these two, this these twin sides of well, that there must be something I need to get or something I need to get rid of. And when you let that go, there can at first be a disappointment or a sense of loss, or is this it? Or what is this? And But when you stay in that space or rest in that and are willing to feel it, it can open up into a vastness. Right, it's like it, it, um, it transforms from groundlessness to um, constant okayness. Yeah, yeah, that's a great way. That's a beautiful transition from, from groundlessness to a constant okayness, or to put this in technical language, from emptiness to basic goodness, or emptiness to Buddha nature. They're the same thing, 
it's just our relationship goes from freak out to, oh my gosh, you mean there's nothing I have to do? You mean it's just vast, open, groundless space? Well, who's going to pay the bills? And how, you know, like, what about, you know, the Steelers? And what about Donald Trump? And like, what do I need to do? And how, how do I need to be? But when, when you actually stay in that groundlessness, it can transform from a panic or a resistance to the space to a kind of yeah, vastness or basic okayness or I could rest here. It's experiential. Yeah. It's the experience of hanging out there and being okay. Yeah. So you find, oh, there's no trace. And that no trace could continue endlessly. And that's what I left with. The only note I made when I left last week was that you said that that is where you could approach your whole life. Yeah, you could live your life from that basic okayness, that relaxation, that vastness. Or actually, what you said was your action could come from that. Action could come from that space. Wow, I said a lot of important things. <laughs> <laughs> yes. wow. What a great talk. Um, uh, the, the, uh, the, sorry, the no trace goes on. No trace continues endlessly. You know, we're so, uh, like, we have no other choice, but we're, we're so, um, uh, infatuated with our own incarnation, right, from its beginning to its end, you know. But to even to sort of imply some linearity on it, you know, I'm just picking up that trace from prior to me, you know, backward into eternity. And, you know, so I'm just a particular complication, you know, in that vastness. Um, so it takes... In that vast sense, it takes some of the pressure off. You know? mm-hmm. like, uh, so I'm picking up that trait, that no remain part, um, right from when, you know, from from whence it came, mm-hmm. uh, kind of. And yeah, I mean, it echoes a lot of what you were, you know, what you were saying. It just it provides a far broader context for because our own experiences we come in, you know. Uh, I always thought it's kind of strange, like, you know, you're, you have a young child or something like that, and uh, they see a, an automobile, and they're like, oh, cool, they jump right in, you know. But if you were to show that automobile to someone from the 17th century, they'd be, they'd be horrified. So, you know, like, what is that ability to just accept what's in front of us, you know, and as it's always been? We have no experience, really, of any of that, any of those traces from you know from other times or mm-hmm. or just a moment traits. in that we're yeah. just a moment in that yeah. so i love this phrase that you you uttered in the beginning which is that i'm just a complication of the vastness <laughs> you know it's like that's a great answer so who well, who are you <laughs> <laughs>
I'm a, I'm just a little momentary complication of vastness. See, now I can just say I'm complicated, and, and that's why you don't get me. Yeah, that's right. The short version is, well, it's complicated. <laughs> Who are you? Well, it's complicated. <laughs> really? In what way? Well, I'm a complication of vastness. <laughs> yeah. But this question of trace and 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 like really feeling into every moment of our experience is just kind of part of that trace is, is really uh, quite beautiful. And there's a specific teaching that's called radical momentariness that if you really comp- contemplate it, you just have that experience of the, there, you know, there's no, there is no past, there is no future. There's only this kind of constant moment momentariness. So I'll take one more and then we'll, we'll move on a bit. Yeah, please. Yeah, uh, one of the ways that I understood this is that there's in fact no such thing as grasping because as soon as you think you've grasped something, it's already slipped away. And, you know, that's the great relief. That's really cool because at first it can sound like, oh, I'm grasping, I have to learn to let go, I have to learn to let go of attachment of the self. I have to stop clinging to myself. I have to stop grasping at my identity. And that's going to be really hard work. And one day I'll get there. But if you really tune in to that sense that there isn't anything they are grasping, which means there is no grasping, which means to truly let go is even letting go of the idea that I have to let go. Or that there's this big project to one day let go of grasping or let go of the self. That very project is what we end up letting go of. So, all is well. <laughs> so, I want to bring in just a couple of more elements here, and then we'll do a little reflection together. So, from a, a, a we've been hinting at this, but in a technical Buddhist language, this present absence, or a no trace that continues endlessly is um, called the Buddha nature. In Sanskrit, Tathagata Garbha. Garbha literally means a womb or matrix. And Tathata means suchness or thatness. So literally the womb of thatness or the matrix of suchness. If you're interested in such things. <laughs> um, and there's, there are a lot of ways to describe it, but for tonight I'll name, there are two qualities of the Buddha nature. First is tenderness, and the second is wisdom. So you could say, what is our Buddha nature? What is our awakened nature? It's not a soul or a substance or a metaphysical substrate, but it is a tenderness and a wisdom, inseparable, this softness but that also is knowing, that is wise, that is awake, that is perceptive and receptive. And there are two ways that this Buddha nature can abide. One is the Buddha nature can abide in a a way that is covered over as if there was a jewel that's been covered over with garbage and refuse and shit and vomit. And then the second way that the Buddha nature can abide is unstained, completely showing itself, completely revealed. And so from a a Mahayana Buddhist perspective, you could say that um, we are all 
the Buddha nature. We all have and possess and are this awakened potential, <coughs> this awakened potentiality. And that the path is just uncovering it, learning to reveal it. But what is it? What is this Buddha nature? This is why we've taken three talks to get here. Is <laughs> there? It's not a thing. It's not a soul. It's not a, an entity. It's not a substance. And this is where everyone in the West tends to go immediately. Buddha nature. Oh, that's like a soul. That's who I truly am. It's who I really am. It's my nice juicy center. And one day I'll get to my Buddha nature. And then it'll be great. I can write a letter to all my friends. I found it. I got my Buddha nature. It's gold. It glows. It's the crystal dolphin that swims in crystal palaces. And it's so cool. And so the truth is that you have to pass through this negation, this absencing, this letting go, this disowning, the groundlessness, the uncertainty, the totally willing, totally willing to let go of project of, of, of control, of wanting security, of really, truly opening up. And in that openness, in that sense of letting go of all certainty and of all holding and fixation, even of letting go of letting go, only in that kind of absence do we feel this, this tenderness, this raw, shaky, vulnerable union, this coiling together of tenderness and wisdom, of a softness that's also perceptive, awake, that deeply knows, that knows beyond concept, an intuitive knowing that is not something that is the result of education or books or knowledge, but this is a wisdom and a tenderness that has, has been with us all along, or a trace that continues endlessly. The absence that is always available when we're willing to abide in that absence. So in the Christian mystical tradition, you have this language of the dark night of the soul, right? And most contemplative traditions talk about having to really break open, let go, release, and um, being able to rest in a, in a real kind of vastness. And it's only in that openness and letting go that we might discover this twinning of the tenderness and wisdom that is our Buddha nature, or you could say who you are. So um, the last kind of thing I want to share around this before we explore it more experientially is that um, the, I think from a very human, ordinary perspective, what does it feel like? to rest in this Buddha nature, this twinning of tenderness and wisdom, it feels, and this was coming out even earlier, it feels like just a basic trust. An almost naive, childlike, simple, basic trust. Not exactly even trust in ourself, or trust that things will go well, or that the world will all work out, because it, it won't. A more fundamental trust, a trust without expectation, a basic trust that for once we don't need to protect ourselves, fight things off, hold on to an identity, but a kind of primordial 
trust that is this absence, that is this trace that continues endlessly. And our meditation practice is the training in this basic trust. It is deceptively simple, but when we give the instruction, feel the breath, let go of your thoughts, let go of grasping, let go of needing to be in a different state, that is this kind of letting go and unlearning and opening into a vastness. That moment by moment, there is a kind of letting go and surrendering every time we come back to the present. And what is happening in the present moment in our modern teachings on mindfulness is the exact opposite. What the mindfulness teachings are promising is if you come back to the present, you will find security, stability, mental health, emotional well-being, you will regulate your emotions, your brain will be rewired and synced up in a way that everything will be okay, it will all come together, you'll truly be in the present, in the moment, you'll be healthier, you'll be happier, things will go well at work, people will like you, you'll make more money, and you won't get cancer, and you'll look like Angelina Jolie. And if you don't, if you think that that's not what the mindfulness movement is saying, like look at the front cover of the magazines. <laughs> I'm being a bit harsh, but but so much of what we what we think we want from meditation is is the securing process of the present moment. If I stay in the present, everything will be okay. I'll have. I'll know what to hold on to. But actually, meditation is the exact opposite. It's a kind of constant releasing, disowning, freeing, untraining, unlearning of that grasping, fixating quality. It's resting in a kind of gap, moment after moment. And what's what I, why I want to end on this note is this is very real. This is not just an abstract, mystical, philosophical thing. We really are training this way of a kind of constant undoing, releasing, disowning. And, and, the, the, and I hesitate to even say it. This is the sort of happy ending, if, if, you'll, if you'll believe it. There is so much freedom, joy, and, and even health in that gap, in that absence. It's deeply nourishing. And I think I'm hearing some of the comments that you maybe even had an experiential glimpse of that last week. That the no trace that continues endlessly to be a, a willing to be a present absence, to experience that spaciousness, that release, that freeing, that relief of constant grasping and identity is so tender, so wise, so awake, so alive. And that is who we really are. That is what everything really is. If you have to say that from a Buddhist perspective, who are you? We are that tenderness that, um, that continues endlessly. So that is sometimes known as the Buddha nature, in our tradition sometimes called basic goodness, or we could call it here experientially just basic trust, that, that the constant 
concern and anxiety if the world is for us or against us, if we're doing it right or we're doing it poorly, if we've got it all together or if it's all falling apart, if one day we'll arrive or if we're already here. All of that anxiety kind of sheds itself and there is great freedom and peace. And the whole point is that that is your birthright. That is your, that is what you are. That is already happening. That's not something that we get through our meditation practice or through a teacher or through doing something well or better or right or faster. It is, it is all that is happening. It is all that ever will happen. And it's not a state that we get to. It's, it's what's, what is allowing you to even perceive and hear and feel and think right now. None of this talk could have taken place without a perceptive, wise tenderness that you can't find, that isn't solid. This communication couldn't happen. It's, it's the very capacity for experience. And that is traceless and continues endlessly. I don't want to talk too much more about such things. Um, and there's really not much to make sense of. And um, with this talk, not all of my talks, but some of them, and especially over the last two talks, there's my words and there's your words and there's what we're thinking. And then there's something else happening. I just want to call attention to that. That's, that's what really starts to transform our experience. So don't worry about the words or making sense of it or no trace um, and having no trace remain or continue endlessly. But just see what kind of percolates in your, in your experience. That's the tender wisdom or the win wisdom of tenderness. And that's what you are always have been, always will be. <laughs>